Hey, how's it going? I'm Andy Jones, and this is episode 68 of the Photography Q&A podcast. Okay, I've got a, an apology to start this episode with. Last week's podcast, which was called What is Macro Photography, shouldn't have happened. I have a long list of episode titles that I can do in the future. Unfortunately, I picked up an older pad with an older list on and saw that what is macro photography was next on the list. So I did it. I wrote it and I recorded it. And all the time I was writing and recording it, I was thinking, I'm sure I've done this one already. I'm sure I've covered this little bit. Must have been another episode. So I just carried on and published it. Midweek, I found my up-to-date list and realized what I had done. I did it back in May with the same name, what is macro photography. So really all you got last week was an updated version of the one that I did in May because I've been doing it since May. So so I promise not to do another macro episode again, unless that is I discover a new insect or something special, you know. Anyway, uh, yesterday I discovered a new app that I had no idea existed and it is perfect for photographers. So I'll tell you all about that at the end. But first, I need to give you six ways to improve your photography. Number one has to be mastering the settings on your camera. The main settings you need to control are aperture, shutter speed and ISO. Now changing these without the need to take the camera away from your eye is a game changer. It'll make you, you won't miss anything. If you're shooting wildlife and you can change on the fly, it is a game changer. If you're fumbling around trying to make changes to your settings during a portrait session, you lose valuable shooting time. So if you've only got an hour, you could use 10 minutes of it just messing around with your camera but if you're doing it on the fly you just automatically know where the buttons are push them and change them with the dial it's going to be so much better and it doesn't impress your customer if you're fiddling around with your camera showing them that you're not 100 percent sure i've got a video on the 50millimeterframework.com website that takes you through changing the settings just sign up and get full access to the download section right hand side of the menu you click login and then set an account up if you don't have one just put your email in and your password. I don't know what else goes in. I think that's just it. And once you've signed in, the word downloads comes up on the menu and you click on there and you go to the download section and you can watch it. I've got lots of stuff I'm going to be adding to it. I just haven't had a chance at the moment. We've got a new family business that we started and it's taken up quite a bit more time than I expected. So with these settings, remember that practice makes perfect. If you're doing nothing at night, pick your camera up and try to go through changing different settings. Next, think about the available light. It doesn't matter where you're shooting, what you're shooting, light is the most important thing you need to address. Landscape photographers generally shoot at sunrise and sunset. That's because the sun is shining close to the horizon. At noon, the sun is high in the sky and there are not many shadows. Shadows create the drama in a landscape image. That is why they do it at those times. Plus, the light is so much nicer than 100% turned on during the middle of the day. A couple of days ago, I was trying to get a photo of some wildflowers out back. And at noon, they would have been well lit and everything would have been fine. But it just, eh, you know, but at 5 p.m., the sun was lower in the sky and it was lighting the flowers from behind which gave a total different image to 100% light came out really nice i was very pleased with them now by saying think about the available light i want you to think about where the sun is coming from what is it hitting how will it hit my subject how will it affect the shadows on the on the subject's face there are lots of things to think about don't just walk out into the middle of the field with your 
subject and start shooting. You really do have to think about where the light is, how much of it there is. It sounds very complicated, but it's not. If it's really sunny and you're not using flash, get under a tree or get the sun behind the trees and take pictures with your subjects on the other side. You've just got to control what the light does to your image. Now, with an overcast day, the overcast day is your best friend because there are no shadows or there'll be very little shadows. So the best way to manage shadows in a portrait session, indoors or outdoors, is to use a flash. And that is the next thing on the list that I'm going to talk about. Learning how to use a flash. This is something you really, really I'm going to say it one more time, really should do. It isn't hard to figure out, and you can buy a decent flash for $50 to $100 on Amazon. Your portraits won't have shadows where you don't want them. Once you get the hang of it, you'll get predictable results every time. Your images will have a professional look, and if you're just starting out in the photography business, you'll be able to charge more for your sessions because of the quality of your images. There really is no downside to learning how to use a flash. It will change your photography probably more than anything. Next is think about backgrounds. If you're shooting portraits, weddings, or absolutely anything, look to see what is behind your subject. Is the background suitable? I see lots of photos on Facebook with distracting backgrounds, like tree branches that cross behind the subject. Even flower beds are distracting. Just because flowers are nice to look at, it doesn't mean they will make a good background for your subjects. You need a background that lets your subjects stand out, not blend in or disappear in a mass of colour. The creek that's running through the background of your image is great, but the chain link fence in between the creek and your subject isn't great. So check your backgrounds and then check again. Next is don't overuse presets and actions and even filters. Now, I've been guilty of this in the past. It's so easy just to click one button and your photo is ready to show the world. I see lots of photos that are way overdone. A simple sunset turns into a horror show of color. I used to use a preset that made the photo look like a watercolor. Now, it's a nice effect on a good photo, but I was using it to try and make a bad photo look good. And that really is where you should draw the line with your images. If you need to use a filter to make that photo look good, don't do it. Just delete the image. Try to use presets and filters and even and actions in Photoshop that only have a small effect on your image. Or instead, try editing it yourself step by step. And if you like the result of your editing, you can save it as a preset in Lightroom. That way you're going to develop your own style and not someone else's. So use these presets, filters and actions and all the other stuff that's out there very rarely if you can. Try to do it yourself and develop your own style. Okay, last but not least, print your work. Now, I'm not saying you print everything that you ever take a picture of. Maybe just one print a month, your best one. Just This is just for you. This isn't for clients or anyone else. Whatever you do for them is different to this. Just get one maybe or two done a month. The absolute best ones. The ones you look at them, you're proud of. You know which ones you are. We all have them. By having a photograph in your hand, you can hold it, look at it, and it gives you a clearer idea of where you are and what you need to change in the future. When I get a print, I always look at it, and the first thing I think is I could do this or that a little differently. Looking at everything on the screen doesn't make you think this way you think everything's a winner. Holding the print in front of you does allow you to think this way, and that's what you need to do. Just 
maybe one a month, 12 a year, and just see how they go. You don't have to go out and spend thousands of dollars on the latest, greatest printer. Use a photo lab, even Costco, Walmart, uh, Walgreens, I think it's called down in the States. Get a 10 by 8 donor, an 11 by 14, even a 6 by 4, 5 by 7, something small. Just get something printed. You could even go out and buy a frame, a cheap frame from Walmart or wherever, and uh, put it on the wall. It'll give you a visible comparison of how your work has changed over time. I still get excited when prints arrive. I'm like a little kid. I guess old habits die hard. So yeah, print something and I guarantee you'll look at it and you'll think, maybe I should have taken it from a different angle or maybe I should have edited that a little bit differently. The greens, near, you know, you'll find things on there that you need to change. I guarantee it. So that's the last one. Print little pieces of your work and see how it goes. Okay, at the beginning I mentioned an app, and that app is called Vero, V-E-R-O. Now, I've not heard of it, you might have. Uh, I believe it first came out in 2015, but it didn't really take off, mainly due to Instagram. Now that Instagram is gradually changing over to video, it isn't giving photographers what they need. Vero is an app, and it also offers a desktop app, but you need to set the account up on your phone download the app, put your details in, username, password, and then you can download the desktop version and you can upload from your desktop and you see full-size images. It's really, really good. It's just like Instagram, but it allows full-screen viewing of images and I really like it. If you're interested, join me on Vero. It's free. I'll put a link in the show notes and uh, hopefully I'll see you there. Okay, that's it for this episode. I'll be back next week with more Waffle. Bye for now.